Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Seminary. This podcast is a variety of audio resources from around Southeastern. To learn more about Southeastern, visit scbts.edu. I you to take your copy of God's Word and find 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, just one verse of Scripture today. I'm grateful to Danny Aiken, my longtime friend, for the invitation to preach uh, in this chapel once again. And I understand he's not feeling well, and we pray for speedy recovery for Danny and Charlotte. He's preached many times at the Lakeview Pulpit, where I served for 42-plus years. And I appreciate the great commission passion of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. And it's a joy to be on campus. I was with some students earlier, and we were some later today in classes. Uh, I announced just over a year ago my intention to retire on October 31 of this year. And before lunch the next day, uh, Dr. Aiken called and asked if I would come and help some here. And so uh, it began today, and I think I'm coming back maybe in January, and we'll see beyond that. But, uh, it's just great to be on this wonderful campus. A number of years ago, uh, Bart and Cynthia uh, stood in the pulpit of Lakeview Baptist Church uh, to share a brief testimony before we commissioned them to go with the International Mission Board to Asia. And uh, they had been students at Auburn University, members of Lakeview Baptist Church, were married at Lakeview, heard the call of God to go. And uh, he was in fisheries, and so uh, the International Mission Board required that he have two years of hands-on experience after graduation in his uh, vocational choice of fisheries. That was his platform to get into this creative access country. And so they moved out of state, and when the two years were up, we wanted them back the last Sunday before they left for Asia. And as they stood there, they said, last Sunday we were commissioned by the church that we were members of in the other state. And he said, at the conclusion of our commissioning service, the pastor said to the congregation, this is an historic day in the life of our church. For in the 148-year history of this church, these are the first missionaries we've ever sent out. As I heard those words, my heart sank. And I had to ask myself this question. How can a church exist for almost one and one-half centuries before they had their first missionary couple, knowing full well that they heard the call to go to the nations, not in that church, but in the church in Auburn, Alabama? How can that be? Has the Holy Spirit not been active in that church for 148 years in calling men and women to the nations? Had that church been granted an exemption regarding the Great Commission to go and make disciples of all the nations? Clearly for generations in that particular church, in my estimation, there had been a colossal failure to obey the command of Jesus to make disciples of all the nations. And the question is why? 
And the answer is going to be found in the imponderables of God. But I want to suggest that perhaps a part of the, the answer to that question, why no missionaries for 148 years, may have been the failure of the pastors who served that church across those many decades. Andrew Murray, in his book, The Key to the Missionary Problem, said, and I quote, It is one thing for a minister to be an advocate and supporter of missions. It is another and very different thing for him to understand that they are the chief end of the church, and therefore the chief end for which the congregation exists. It is only when this truth masters him, that is the pastor, in its spiritual power that he, the pastor, will be able to give the subject of missions its true place in his ministry. And just about 100 years ago, John R. Mott, that great missionary statesman of the early part of the 20th century, wrote these words. At those times when the church made her greatest missionary advances, the pastors were putting forth their whole strength in the effort to extend her sway. So too, when there have been periods of neglect and indifference concerning the worldwide plans of Christ, the pastors who have been showing a lack of enthusiasm on the subject. It is not a question, says Mary, of the location of the pastor or of his special natural ability. Whenever you find a pastor with overflowing missionary zeal and knowledge, you will find an earnest missionary church. Is Murray right? Is Mott correct? The answer is yes. The role of the pastor in the local church in mobilizing that particular congregation to take the gospel to the nations is absolutely crucial. When the pastor has a white hot passion for the, God, for the glory of God among all the nations, in time that church will develop a passion for global evangelization. Now the reverse is equally true. If the pastor has little passion uh, for the nations, and the church will have little passion for the nations. The passion of the church, excuse me, the passion of the pastor will become the passion of the church. Now, we Southern Baptists, uh, we pride ourselves on having a very large uh, missionary force, and it is large compared to other missionary agencies. And uh, yet I want to suggest that we have a We've not begun to tout the potential of the people that God would call to the nations that are found in the pews of our churches. Just a tiny fraction of 1% of our people have responded to go uh, to the nations. I want to suggest there's a choke point, and the choke point is not uh, found in Richmond. Uh, the choke point is not found uh, in our missionaries on the field. Some of those splendid servants of Christ to be found anywhere are scattered to the four corners of the earth with our mission board. It's not found among the ladies in our Women's Missionary Union. They're doing all they know to do to mobilize as many folks as they can. Nor, I believe, is it found in the pews of our churches. I believe our people are waiting to be led to take the gospel to the nations. But I've come today to say that after thinking about this now for decades, and I don't exaggerate when I say decades, the weak link in global evangelization is found, with rare exceptions, in the pulpits of our churches. 
Now, the pastor of the local church has the awesome responsibility to mobilize the members of the congregation to take the gospel to the nations. We know what our mandate is. Jesus made it very clear. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. That is our mandate. And then Jesus, uh, as he ascended back to heaven, said, uh, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That was the passion of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. In the closing uh, part of John's gospel, Jesus said to, to the twelve, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And the, and the missionary mandate of the church is quite clear in the Gospels and in Acts chapter 1, but it's found throughout the Scriptures. The Apostle Paul captured that passion for the nations that Jesus commanded the church to have. And uh, his, his letters, many of them are missionary letters. Now, Paul said to the church in Romans, he said, It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ is not known. And so I want to hold up for you today as a model for pastoral ministry, uh, the Apostle Paul, and, it, and, and in particular, his passion to declare the gospel to all the nations. So think with me about this subject, the strategic role of the pastor in global evangelization. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, after speaking, after writing at some length about meat offered to idols and what's permissible and what's not permissible and what you're free to do and what you're not free to do, and I don't have that as my assignment this morning, uh, but Paul said in chapter 10, verse 31, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. It is God's heart that He'd be glorified among all the nations of the earth. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews or Greeks or the church of God, even as I try to please everybody in every way. Now watch this, uh, verse uh, 33. For I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of many, that they may be saved. Now you read in Romans 9, you read in Romans 10, Paul's passion, his burden, his compassion for those who are unsaved. And Paul's heart was that those who do not know Christ might hear the gospel and be saved. And then he says in chapter 11, verse 1, I just want to use this as my text today, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Now, as I said a moment ago, I've thought about this for a long time. And I've had my eyes and ears open for a long time, and I've observed fellow pastors across the land. And I came to the conclusion some years ago that there are three issues that every pastor must face in his life if he's going to be the catalyst to mobilize the, the congregation that God has called him to shepherd to take the gospel to the nations. That first issue is what I'm calling the lordship issue. Now, if you look again in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, 
Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Paul says, I'm following Jesus. Jesus is my Lord. I have given to the Lord Jesus Christ my, my absolute surrender for him to do with me as he pleases. Paul loved the Lord Jesus supremely, and he followed him fearlessly. Paul wrote to the, to the Roman Christians. He said, I, I've preached the gospel from Jerusalem to Illyricum. I'm coming to Rome. And he went to Rome, and as we know, he was executed in Rome because he would not say Caesar is Lord, but only Jesus is Lord. Jesus was the apostle Paul's absolute master. It's the lordship issue. Now, every pastor sometime in his ministry, hopefully before you graduate seminary, will face this issue head on and surrender to the lordship of Christ and give God a blank check to do with you whatever he wants to do with you and to send you anywhere in the world that he wants to send you. I, I confess to you that I was a, a, a ministerial student in a Baptist school for three years. And not once in those three years was I ever confronted in a chapel service or a Baptist campus ministry meeting with the possibility that as a God-called preacher of the gospel, the Lord might want me to serve him somewhere other than the United States of America. It was only after I graduated from college and I went with a Presbyterian pastor friend to the InterVarsity Christian Fellowship Missionary Conference held on the campus of the University of Illinois in December of 1970, Urbana 70, that I was confronted with the fact that God might want me to serve him somewhere other than the deep south in the United States. And on New Year's Eve, 1970, as we were approaching midnight, we were asked to make a commitment to go anywhere the Lord would send you. Put no geographical limitations on your service for Christ. There were 17,000 students there. You couldn't go forward and make a commitment because the arena was filled with people and all the, the stands were filled with people. But if you were willing to make that kind of surrender, would you please stand? And along with many others, I, I counted the cost and I stood and I said to the Lord, Lord, I will follow you wherever you send me. Now, the people that I shepherded for 42 years in Auburn, Alabama, know my passion for the nations, and sometimes they would say to me something like this, well, Brother Al, if you really believe all this, you're saying, why have you not gone as a missionary somewhere? That's a good question, and it deserves an honest answer. And the honest answer is, I'm willing to go anywhere. I'm willing to get on a plane and go tomorrow, anywhere in the world that God sends me, but I've stayed in Auburn because that's the will of God for my life. God called me in eternity past to Auburn, Alabama. But my heart is to go anywhere. But I have to, I have to share with you that when I sat where you are seated today, I observed my classmates, my seminary classmates, and in my three years at Southwestern Seminary, I very rarely missed a chapel service. I just thought it was too important to not go. And twice a semester, we would have extended chapel service 
mission day. And some of my classmates who were very faithful to go to chapel service conveniently did not show up on mission day, I think for fear that they might get called to go to the nations. They wanted to serve Christ here in the United States. It's a lordship issue. And quite frankly, it's impossible to say no Lord. Do you think about that? You can articulate those two words, N-O, no, L-O-R-D, Lord. You can put them back to back. You can, you can vocalize them. But when you say no Lord, he's not Lord. If Jesus is Lord, there's only one thing you can say, and that's yes. Yes, I will serve you in North Carolina. Yes, I will serve you in Europe. Yes, I'll serve you in Africa or Asia or Latin America or the islands of the sea. I'll go to the Muslim world, the Buddhist world, the Hindu world, uh, the secular Europe. I'll go the Chinese world. I'll go anywhere. The answer is yes. Send me where you want me to go. Now, I don't believe everybody ought to be a missionary. In fact, I don't think most of us ought to be missionaries. But I do believe there are many that ought to be missionaries that aren't missionaries because they've They've been disobedient to the call of God. Every pastor needs to deal with the lordship issue in his life. And if you're holding something back, you can't with integrity declare that Jesus is your Lord. Then there's the lifestyle issue. And by this, by this I mean... Uh, there's the whole matter of living more simply and more frugally that more financial resources might be released to send those whom God has called to go to the nations. One of the tragedies in Southern Baptist life is that gospel advance is handicapped by the lack of financial resources. It was heartbreaking just a few years ago that we had to extend early retirement to 900 of our frontline missionaries because Southern Baptists would not release the financial resources to keep them in their place of service. The fact of the matter is Southern Baptists are now an affluent people. We're not the poor people we were when we began in 1845 as a Southern Baptist convention. We have the financial resources, but we are spending them on ourselves while multitudes around the world are born, live out their lives, they die and they slip into a Christless eternity, never having anyone come to them with the message of salvation and many not able to go because we didn't release the resources to send them. Far too many American Christians and far too many American churches corporately are caught up in pursuing the American dream at the expense, at the expense of following Christ. Look again in our text, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Well, what's the example of Jesus? Well, Jesus said, uh, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. During the days of Jesus' public ministry, he, he, was, he was depending upon the uh, generosity of people like Mary and Martha and Lazarus and uh, Susanna and other women who would uh, care for his material needs. Uh, 
Jesus lived a very simple and frugal life. I'm not suggesting that we do away with uh, uh, indoor plumbing and, and electricity and air conditioning. I'm just saying just because our, our, our salary goes up doesn't mean our standard of living has to go up. Our standard of giving can rise as our salary rises. And so it's not just a lordship issue. Paul says, uh, I'm following Christ, but he's following the example of Christ. And the example of Christ is a, an example of a simple lifestyle. Yet far too many of our churches, and may I say far too many of our pastors think, well, I give a tithe of my income, and I'm free to use the other 90% of what I have to do as I please. Well, I want to suggest that the tithe is not the ceiling that we work up to and stop. It's the foundation, and as the Lord prospers us, then that's additional resources to be released to send God-called missionaries uh, to the field. I'm told that in the most recent years, Southern Baptist churches collected about $12 billion for all causes. When the offering plates passed, about $12 billion. And of that $12 billion, less than three cents out of every dollar goes to the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Community. We call ourselves a missionary denomination, and we're giving less than three cents on the dollar to win the world to Jesus, and we say that's, that's our mission. So maybe we need to ask ourselves, what are our real priorities here? And why do we continue to build and build and build things uh, when there's, there's so much need around the world? It's a lifestyle issue as well as a lordship issue. And I want to suggest that as pastors, we need to, we need to embrace a simpler lifestyle, a countercultural lifestyle, if you please. Remember, it was Jesus who said, Do not store for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust break in and thieves, uh, moth and rust corrode, and where thieves break in and steal. But instead, Jesus said, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Jesus is not opposed to us storing up treasures. He just said, no, store it up on earth because everything you, you store up here, you lose at death. Everything you store up in heaven, you have forever. Store it for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust does not corrupt and thieves do not break in and steal. Paul is our example here. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Jesus was his Lord. He's following Christ. Christ was his example. That's the lordship issue. That's the lifestyle issue. Then there's the third issue that I think every pastor needs to deal with, and that's the leadership issue. Now, look again. Paul says in verse 1 here, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. He's calling them to follow his example. Every pastor needs to ask himself this question. If the, if the congregation that I shepherd was following my example as it relates to winning the world of the Lord Jesus Christ, how far would they go? Would their lifestyle be impacted at all? The pastor has to lead out on this. You can't delegate this if you're a large church to the missions pastor. You can't delegate this if you're a smaller church to the, to the men's or the women's ministry. It is the pastor who must lead. Now, the first time I went to India many years ago, I was working with a group called the Friends Missionary Prayer Band. And I was traveling from city to city and, and uh, preaching in different locations to different mission organizations. And, uh, and I kept hearing this phrase spoken by my host, the Friends Missionary Prayer Band, go or sin, go or sin, go or sin. And I thought I had it pegged what they were talking about and I was dead right. 
the, the thrust of the Friends Missionary Prayer Band, which is an all-India ministry uh, missionary organization, basically rooted in southern India, trying to reach northern India, which is almost totally Muslim and, and Hindu. And and it was if God has called you to go as a, as a missionary, you need to obey the call of God and go where God sends you. But you can be sure if God has not called you to go, He has called you to send those whom He has called to go. To send them with your prayers, to send them with your money, and to send them with your influence. And so a pastor must be willing to go for a lifetime if God calls, but if not, he must be diligent to send those, his sheep, his best members who have been called to go for a lifetime. And he is to lead his people and to cast that vision and to call them to the nations. Now, Paul, Paul led the way forward for sure. And pastor, you and I are to call our people to follow as well. Now, how do we do that? I want to be very practical here. Uh, if you're going to lead, you're going to catch some flack. You're going to catch some pushback. And while I believe that there are multitudes of Southern Baptist uh, laymen and laywomen who are eager to be led, to be mobilized, there are some who are going to fight you every step of the way. So how do you go about it? Well, the most obvious place is you, you, you use the pulpit to call the people to take the gospel to the nations. Uh, a pastor in a congregationally governed church has an advantage over a pastor in any other kind of uh, uh, governed church because he has access to the pulpit and you can always uh, go over the heads of the power brokers behind the scene and call the congregation to wherever they need to the Lord wants them to go. But how do you do that? Well, you preach systematically through the Bible. For 42 years, I have preached chapter by chapter, verse by verse, line upon line, precept upon precept. That's not all I do in the pulpit, and what I'm doing today is not normal for me. But if you preach systematically through the books of the Bible, you're going to find missions everywhere, not just in the New Testament, not just in the letters of Paul. You'll find it in Psalms. You'll find it in Genesis. You'll find it all over the Old Testament. If you have eyes to see, it's there. And just exposit the Word of God. God's heart is for His glory among all the peoples of the earth. So use the pulpit. Now, one thing that I did when I first came to be pastor at Lakeview is I decided I was going to preach a series of sermons on Sunday evening on becoming a world Christian. So we started out with the first sermon, and we had our normal Sunday evening crowd. And uh, I had announced we are going to do this for eight weeks. And so the second Sunday night, we had fewer than the first Sunday night. And the third Sunday night, we had fewer than the second and it got fewer and fewer and fewer and fewer down to the last eighth and last sermon. Very few were there. They didn't want to hear it initially. Uh, they didn't want to run the risk of their son or daughter going somewhere far, far away and maybe taking their grandchildren far away. Some people left. But use the pulpit and don't hesitate to preach the whole counsel of God. I would suggest that every, every church ought to have an annual missionary conference. 
I remember when I first came to Lakeview and I invited some missionary friends to come in and speak and there were so few people that came. I was embarrassed because I was prideful and I was angry because I'm carnal. And I said to myself, these sorry Lakeview members, I'm never gonna have a missionary conference again. I bring all these great missionary speakers in here and they don't wanna come. Well, a few weeks later, I got over it. So we had one the next year, same thing. Third year, same thing. But I'm tenacious. And we just kept plugging away. And now if you ask the average Lakeview member, what is the best week of the year at Lakeview? They're gonna say, it's our missions week. And I, I sat there a few years ago on the last night of our missions festival, looking around the room and I'm thinking, it's taken 35 years, but they got it. They got it. And if the next pastor doesn't have a white hot passion for the nations, and he does, we already have our new pastor. We've been working together four and a half months and I've known him for years. He was a intern on our staff 20 years ago. But I said to myself, I didn't know it was gonna be then. If the next pastor does not have a white hot heart for the nations, this church will reject him. Because our people have, they've taken deeply of the missionary heart of God. It takes time, but it's time well worth taking. And in our case, we've had missionary speakers. Look, I'm a sucker for a missionary testimony. If there's a missionary passing through, you can have five minutes any Sunday morning or Sunday night at Lakeview. We'll just bump some other things and put them up there. And we have so many missionaries out now around our church, there's always somebody there passing through just about every week. Promote the Lottie Moon Christmas offering then. And ladies, promote the Lottie Moon. I'm glad y'all take up the Lottie Moon Christmas offering here. Preach on it. Show those videos that come from the International Mission Board. I write a letter every single year to our people in behalf of the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. And I encourage them to give not by uh, reason, but by revelation. I found that if we set a goal, let's say you set the goal at $10,000. When they got to $10,002, they quit giving. So I said to our people when I first went to Lakeview, I said, let's don't have a goal. Let's just ask our people to pray earnestly about this and ask God to tell them what to give. And they gave a lot more. Last year, $270,000. And the Spirit of God will lead the people of God to do far more than we expect them to do. We'll trust the Holy Spirit and put the challenge out there. In recent years, I've asked our people not just to pray about it, but I've asked them to pray about giving at least one week's salary to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. You have a week's salary? That's Well, if you're a poor student, that is a lot. I mean, but I understand that. But there are people in our churches who could give a month's salary and not miss it. We have not because we ask not. And sometimes we don't ask for it because we're afraid if it all goes to Lottie Mood, it won't go to the budget, and then I won't get that raise I wanted. God will take care of you. You don't worry about your, your salary. God will take care of you. And then, Pastor, don't just send missionary teams around the world. Go with those teams. And don't just go to, to London and Paris on mission. Those are sweet places to go. I've been to those places, too. But, but go to the bush in, in sub-Saharan Africa. Go to the jungles in Asia. Ford those rivers or those missionaries. 
Lead your people out there. Take them to the Middle East. Take them to the Muslim world. Take them to the Hindu world. Go with them. Lead the way. God's called you to lead. And then sometimes you've got to go behind the scenes, behind closed doors, and meet with the finance committee and, and just appeal, appeal for more money in the budget for missions. As the missionary fervor and passion began to build at Lakeview Baptist Church, we had some very serious pushback about 20 years on. And uh, some of our unhappy members began to lean on some of our deacons. And there was a night when uh, two of our key leaders, godly, spirit-filled men, sat across the desk from me in my office. And one of them said to me, Brother Al, you're going to have to back off of this mission stuff. Our people don't want to hear any more of this. You got to, you got and I leaned across the desk and I pointed my finger at him. This is a man that I respect and love and admire. He's a man of God, but he'd been, been pushed by these. I said, I don't want to tell you something. This is a hill on which I'm prepared to die. And he's been a missionary supporter ever since. So pastor lead. There's the leadership issue. And you're going to lose some folks if you lead in this issue. You're going to just lose carnal people who don't care about the nations. You have access to the pulpit. Don't abuse it, but use it wisely and well. Wave the banner for the glory of God among all the peoples. Blow the trumpet and call young men and women to take the gospel to the nations. Now, we all know churches that we think have a great missionary passion, but I want to tell you about the church that I believe is the greatest missionary-minded, mission-hearted church in the Southern Baptist Convention. It's located in Benton, Alabama, in West Central Alabama, between Montgomery and Selma. It's in a little hamlet of less than 100 people. There's a Baptist church, a Methodist church, and a Presbyterian church in a community of less than 100 people. Uh, Benton Baptist Church has 46 resident members. Their budget is $160,000. Last year, these 46 members gave $40,305 to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. So if you prorated that out to every Southern Baptist church and per capita every Southern Baptist, 14 million or so of us, they say, I'm not sure about that, Instead of giving 160 or 70 million dollars last year to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, if every church and every church member did what Benton Baptist Church members did, Southern Baptist last year would have given 12 billion, that's with a B, 12 billion, 264 million dollars to win the world to Jesus. They have 46 members, 27 of them have been on international mission trips to 14 different countries. In the last decade, they've had 31 missionary units speak 60 times in their church. And the pastor of that church is a graduate of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. My friend, Lee Tate. You don't have to be in a university community like God Place Me to mobilize people for the nations. You can be in Benton, Alabama. 
And God is using that church to bring glory to his name as the gospel goes forth and sinners come to Christ and missionaries are called out. I believe the pastor plays the most strategic role of all in mobilizing the church for global evangelization. May God give all of us that kind of holy passion as pastors to follow Jesus as Lord, to live a lifestyle of simplicity that resources might be released and to lead our people to do what Jesus told us to do, go and make disciples of all the nations. God, our Father, thank you for the privilege to stand in this pulpit and speak to these students and their faculty. Thank you for the Great Commission passion that characterizes Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. And God, I pray you'd give all of us this day and every day a holy passion to declare the gospel. As Paul said, it has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ is not known. May it be said of those of us in this room and across this uh, seminary community and across our Southern Baptist churches, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Consider giving to Southeastern Seminary online or visiting us for a preview day. For information on how to give or sign up for a preview day, visit scbts.edu.